From COK Studios in Dina Temple Raston's rec room, this is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. And I'm Cordell Nutbrock. On today's show, we'll consider the life and legacy of Cuban dictator Fidel Castro. We'll also consider some new children's books with our resident librarian, Lynn Ruffle, in our Book Look series. And we'll consider how to spend my Trump University settlement money. Stay with us. Support for Consider Our Knowledge comes from the Daniel Weston Bernstein Foundation, committed to creating a more accepting and peaceful world for people with hyphenated last names. Donate at hyphen.org. And listeners like you, who get the New York Times and shop at Whole Foods with your reusable bags and drive a Subaru that has a bumper sticker that says something like, Keep Tahoe Blue, or Not All Who Wander Are Lost. This is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. And I'm Cordell Nutbrock. Fidel Castro, the controversial communist dictator who took power during the Cuban Revolution in 1959 and led his country for nearly a half century, died last Friday in Havana. He was 90 years old. The death of the polarizing former president has set off both mourning and celebration worldwide. Castro's rule was marked by his relationship with two global powers, the Soviet Union as his ally, the U.S. as his adversary. Some foreign leaders hailed him as a friend to their nations, while others acknowledged the tenuous and often antagonistic relationship Castro's Cuba had with other parts of the world. Joining us now in the studio to discuss the legacy of Castro are international gossip reporter Melissa Reynolds and LGBT correspondent Trevin Motley. Greetings. Hi, Cordell. Hey. Trevin, I'd like to start with you. Can you give us some background on Castro? Sure. The Castro was one of the first gay neighborhoods in the United States, having transformed from a working San Francisco neighborhood through the 1960s and 1970s, the Castro remains one of the most prominent symbols of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgendered activism and events in the world. Castro's age as a gay mecca began during the late 1960s with the Summer of Love in the neighboring Haight-Ashbury district in 1967. The gay community then created an upscale, fashionable urban center in the Castro district in the 1970s. Trevin, I'm sorry, but I wanted you to give some background on Fidel Castro, the former leader of Cuba. Oh, is he that old guy with the beard who always wore the army fatigues? Yes. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I only got information on the gay neighborhood. Uh, well, then I guess we'll move on to Melissa. Can I, can I go then? May I go? May I go? Yes, you may. And Melissa, what are you hearing from your sources about how people are reacting to Castro's death? Well, I would say that most people are totes stoked Castro finally bid the big one. I mean, he was really brutal to his people. There's like two million people in America now who fled Cuba just to get away from him. Quite. My friend Damon's older brother's roommate, Juan, at the University of Miami, was partying with the Cuban exile community in Little Havana, and they were going cray-cray, waving Cuban flags, cheering and dancing in junk. They're all wicked happy Castro's gone. Well, what do you think his lasting impact will be? I think that Castro and his regime will ultimately be seen as a failure because even though he held power for like 60 years, it's still like the 1960s in Cuba. I mean, I heard from this girl, Grace, who I went to UN summer camp with, that they just got Charles in Charge down there last week. Ah, yes. The 1980s show Charles in Charge, starring our new Secretary of Transportation, Scott Baio. 
Ugh, gross. I honestly think the biggest part of Castro's legacy will be how well he pulled off that olive green outfit. I mean, that color doesn't look that great with many people's skin tones. He also looked good in hats and had a beard before it was all popular. He's kind of a hipster dictator when you really think about it. Thank you, Melissa. For more on the life of Fidel Castro, consult Wikipedia. I'm Cordell Nutbrock. You're listening to Consider Our Knowledge. Now we turn to our book look segment with Lynn Ruffle. Lynn is back with us to share some children's books that will make great Christmas gifts this year. She's also brought her brother, the celebrated children's author, Kurt Ruffle, with her today. Good to see you both. Hi, Connor. Hi there. So, Lynn, I had no idea your brother was such a famous children's author. Guilty as charged. Yes. It's made Thanksgiving and Christmas so much fun for me every year. Well, we should also say that you are an award-winning author in your own right. Indeed I am. The fourth installment of my Red Sunset saga, The Demon's Sex Dungeon. One honorable mention at the Latvian Sci-Fi Fantasy Readathon. What can I say, Connor? They love me in Eastern Europe. I know they do. Now, Kurt, you've written some very charming books about your childhood dog. That's right. When Lynn and I were growing up, we had a dog named Jack. Jack Ruffle. Now, let me guess. He was a Jack Russell Terrier. No, he was a pug. Lynn and I, along with our little sister Carrie Ruffle, would play with Jack and dress him up in costumes. Our family was very literary, so most of the time we'd act out famous novels with Jack as the star. That's the basis for my series of books. I just released Jack Ruffle's Wuthering Heights. It's adorable. Oh, so kind of like Wishbone, that PBS show with the Jack Russell Terrier who acted out stories from classic literature. No, it's nothing like Wishbone at all. Wishbone is trash. In fact, I've never seen Wishbone. I don't know what you're talking about. Ixnay on the Ishbone way. Okay, sorry. Um, So you've got the new Jack Ruffle book out, but what are some other children's books that might be good to give as gifts this holiday season? Well, over at my website, Ruffle Bookworks, we have a long list of recommendations that will make great gifts. One of my personal favorites is Roald Dahl's James and the Giant Peach. Even though it isn't new, it's a great book for kids who are just getting into chapter books. Agreed. Doll is a master. I actually just gave that as a gift to one of my co-workers' kids. It's a fun read for kids who like adventure and stone fruit. Okay, what else? Another of my favorites to give to young readers is Papa's Mechanical Fish. Just like my Jack Ruffle series, this book is based on actual events. This fun story invites readers to consider the dream of a dad who creates a submarine for his kids to explore Lake Michigan. That is a very cute book. But if it is based on a true story, why don't they find any dead bodies dumped into Lake Michigan by the mafia, huh? It is a kid's book, Lynn. I'm just saying, Connor. If they really want to say it's based on a true story, they have to address the corpses in the lake. All right, well, is there anything else you'd like to suggest for people doing their Christmas shopping? Well, there are quite a few new children's books that are popular right now that help adults explain the current political situation to their kids. Yes, we've had lots of requests for them at the library since Trump won, but many of them are still coming out. Well, that might be a good idea for a lot of people this year. The best ones I've read are One Fish, Two Fish, Black Fish, Jew Fish, If You Give a Xenophobic Demagogue a Cookie, and The Very Marginalized Caterpillar. Those are good. I'd also suggest America and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Election, the Berenstein Bears and the Electoral College, and Mommy, Why is the President Always Saying Mean Things? Well, those all seem like great choices. 
Thanks so much for coming by today, you guys. No problem. You're welcome, Connor. That was Book Look with Lynn Ruffle and her brother, Kurt Ruffle. That's all for this week's episode of Consider Our Knowledge. If you'd like more from the best-looking news team in public radio, go to our website, considerournowledge.com, for more news and stories. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us for breaking news on Twitter, at Consider Our Know. The COK team includes Emily Clausen, Natalie Thorpe, Jeremiah Knight, Marianne Wetzel, Hobart Willis, Spencer Cannon, and Libby Mitchell. Our intern is Ryan Shattuck. If you'd like to download the podcast, you can go to iTunes or at Stitcher Radio at Stitcher.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Connor Bentley. Those are good. I'd also just... (laughs) 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 Don't choke. Pardon.